So, last week when we were together, we discussed the fall um, and a few things relating back to the fall. Now, we preface all of that, of course, leading up to it. Uh, after God created everything, He said it is good. Um, we talked about the Sabbath and how even the Sabbath ultimately points to eternal rest in Christ, that there is that rest that we can uh, hope for. We discussed uh, Adam and Eve being placed in the garden and being told that they could eat freely of all of the trees except for the one. And so last week we talked about the temptation uh, from the serpent to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And of course, Adam and Eve uh, fell into that temptation and they partook of the tree. We discussed that after the fall, after sin entered into the world, that Adam and Eve's natural inclination, they did a few different things. First and foremost, they were aware now that they were naked, so they made coverings for themselves. They made coverings for themselves. That was important because later we talked about uh, the fact that God Himself made coverings for them and gave them. He placed them upon Adam and Eve. And so that is significant. That is yet another picture of the Gospel here from the first three chapters in Genesis. The fact that God uh, took uh, or that there was a sacrifice of another and God took of that sacrifice and applied it to Adam and Eve who were guilty, who were in sin, but God took of that sacrifice and covered Adam and Eve, in essence covering their sin and their shame, is a beautiful picture of the gospel because that is precisely what happens. Adam and Eve were guilty and deserving of God's wrath, deserving of death, but instead there was another that died and from that death, their sin and their shame was covered. We know that we as sinners are deserving of God's wrath and God's punishment. That the, the penalty for sin, the wages of sin is death. But yet, we have heard the good news that Christ has died. And because of that, we are washed in the blood of the Lamb. We are cleansed of that sin. But we are told that Christ's righteousness, His righteousness is applied to us. That His righteousness is credited to our account, so to speak. But because of Christ's finished work upon the cross, our sins have been covered. Our sin, the penalty of sin has been paid for. Our sins washed away. Our guilt has been covered. So you see a direct connection there. Which again, we brought out that um, God told the serpent that his head would be crushed by the seed of the woman. We know that ultimately that was fulfilled in Christ. When Christ died upon the cross, He uh, killed, He defeated, He crushed sin and death for us. We discussed as well that in the grand scheme of things, we read from Ephesians chapter 1, we discussed that in the grand scheme of things, even the fall was a part of God's good and perfect plan for all of creation. God did not have to resort to a plan B or a plan C or any other thing. God's plan and His will is perfect and it is unchanging. And we read from Ephesians 1 that it was God's desire to unite all things in Christ. 
We read from Ephesians that that there were a people that were chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world. Well, if there were those who were chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world, then it shows that God has had this plan of redemption since before the foundation of the world. So the fall, even the fall, ultimately was a part of God's good and perfect plan for His creation. Specifically, we talked about the fact that if, if, if because Adam never sinned and never fell into temptation or anything of the like, that if we could stand before God and say, well, because our father Adam never fell into sin, then we are made right with you today, then it would serve that Adam would be our Savior and not Christ. That Adam earned our good standing before God and Christ did not because there would be no need of Christ. But if it was God's good and perfect plan to unite all things in Christ, things in heaven and things on earth, then there had to be a fall. There had to be a a need of redemption. There had to be a need for salvation so that Christ could be the Redeemer and Christ would be the Savior. Now, this morning, what I want us to look at is very much along those same lines. But if you have ever studied the Scripture, and if as a believer you have ever gotten to the point where you're asking yourself, well, if, if Adam and Eve, were they supposed to be perfect? Did God expect them to be perfect? And hopefully, especially after last Sunday, we would say, well, no, it's not as if, it's not as if God expected that Adam and Eve were going to be perfect, but then they weren't, and then He had to go to plan B. But if God... If God knew the fall was going to happen, if the fall was even a part of His plan from the get-go, that I still just, you know, how are we, how are we supposed to view Adam? What, what ultimately, how are we supposed to process the person of, of Adam? Because Adam was, was the representative for all mankind. So there is some weighty significance behind the first man, Adam. How are we supposed to view him? How are we supposed to process Well, why is it that when Adam fell, all of mankind fell with him to the extent that now we're all we're all born in sin. But it was just Adam and Eve that sinned. So why? Because Adam sinned is the rest of mankind born in sin. If you've ever gotten to the point that you've you've pondered those questions or you've asked yourself those questions or you've you've thought down that path, you know, okay, I realize now that. The fall is more just, well, there was Adam and Eve and they sinned and so now everybody else is born. If you've thought, what does this tell us about us? What does this tell us about God? I hope that today as we look at Genesis 3 a little bit more and Romans 5, that you'll see that there is a way that Paul viewed Adam and used Adam in his instruction in the book of Romans And so, I would say very strongly to you, if the Bible, if God Himself through His Word has given us a way to view Adam on a grander scale of all mankind, then we should probably follow suit and say, oh, that's how we're supposed to view Adam. That was the point of Adam and Eve being created and even even in them falling into temptation. So, real quickly, one one more time, Genesis 3. Um... Again, right after the fall, 
It said they had already sewn fig leaves together and they made coverings for themselves. But verse 8 says, They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the cool or in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees. But the Lord God called to the man and said, Where are you? He said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman who you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit from the tree and I ate. And then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? And the woman said, The serpent deceived me and I ate. And to the serpent, the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, Cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. But the message is clear. The serpent's head will be crushed. The serpent's head will be bruised. Adam and Eve hid. They knew that they were guilty. God had told them, uh, of the day that you eat of that tree, you will surely die. So with that thought in mind, the fact that Adam and Eve, they knew they were guilty, they hid from God. Uh, they were told that of the day that you eat, you will surely die. And we covered last week a bit that, uh, again from Ephesians, that we are by nature children of wrath. We're dead in our, tr- in our trespasses and sin. And so that is the natural state of mankind. We are born into sin. But I want us to see this beautiful comparison between Adam and Christ that we find in Romans chapter 5. One of the one of the other names for Jesus is the second Adam. That's one of my favorite names for Christ. That he is the second Adam. And I hope that we will see the significance of that in reading from Romans chapter 5. The the bulk of what I want us to focus on is verses 12 through 21. But verse 12 starts with a therefore. So anytime there's a therefore, you've got to figure out what the therefore is there for. So we're going to start reading in verse 6, then we'll pick it up with the therefore. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Now, hold that. I know we've heard that verse so often. But I want you all to hold that in your free time today and tomorrow. I want you to meditate upon that truth. That is the message of the gospel. Christ died for the ungodly. Like that's in a nutshell. Just sit on that. Treasure that. Take joy in that truth. For one would scarcely die for a righteous person. Perhaps for a good person one would even dare die. But God showed His love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by His blood, much more shall we be saved by Him from the wrath of God. Christ's sacrifice upon the cross spares us from the wrath of God. What what awaits an unregenerate sinner when their life on this earth ends? 
And what awaits them is the wrath of God. What is the, what is the only difference between someone who is unregenerate and one who is regenerate, one who is born again, the only difference, the reason that the regenerate person does not receive the wrath of God is because Christ has already taken upon Himself the wrath of God for that sinner. Still a sinner. Still nothing good in their flesh, as Paul says, in our flesh is no good thing. The difference maker is Christ. Christ received the wrath of God for all who would ever believe. So, since we've been justified by His blood, and uh, we've been justified by His blood, much more shall we be saved by Christ from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, much more now that we are reconciled, Will we be saved by His life? More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Now, just to see if, if there's anybody who's really, really awakened with it this morning. Somebody give me a brief description of what reconciliation is. What does the word reconcile or reconciliation, what is that a picture of? To make amends. Alright? So, in order to need to be reconciled, there has to be some friction or some separation there. Then, once amends are made, you have been reconciled and that relationship is restored. What is it, what is it that has broken down and separated and put a division between God and man? Sin. What is the only way that amends could be made or reconciliation could happen between God and man. The penalty for the sin must be paid. Because God is a just God. God doesn't just overlook sin or say, oh, I didn't see that. Or The punishment, the penalty for that sin must be paid. So because of Christ and His shed blood on the cross, we are reconciled to God. Jesus paid the price for our sins so that we do not have to. The wrath of God, the punishment for those sins was poured out upon Christ. Therefore, we are reconciled to God. Adam and Eve, after they sinned, there was the day you eat of the tree, you will surely die. After they ate of that tree, clearly things had changed. They tried to run away. They tried to hide from God. They made coverings for themselves. God holds them accountable. He says, where are you? Again, God isn't playing a game of hide and seek with Adam. God knows full well where Adam is. Have you eaten of that tree? Well, it was the woman that you gave me. Well, Eve, what is this thing that you have done? Well, it was the serpent. And he curses the serpent. And there's repercussion for the sin. But again, like we talked about last week, you'll notice Adam and Eve did not drop dead. Now, spiritually, they were dead. But they did not physically drop dead that day. And in the curse to the serpent, God actually gives us this glimpse into His eternal plan that that serpent, our greatest enemy, will be crushed. And not only that, 
God Himself ends up making, fashioning coverings for Adam and Eve. And He Himself gives them to Adam and Eve. And so once more, do not, please do not miss that that is a wonderful example and illustration and a foreshadowing of the gospel. Adam and Eve ran and they hid. God came to them. God covered them. In our sin and in our shame, even when we understand, if, if we start to come under that understanding that I'm guilty, I'm a sinner, and I, I'm some, something's not right between me and God. A lot of times we'll try to cover our own sin or we'll try to make amends for I'm going to start being a good person today. I'm going to turn things around today and I'm going to make up for all of that bad stuff that I've done. And no amount of making up for the bad stuff that you've done will ever actually pay the price for the bad stuff that was done. Furthermore, in our efforts to make up for the bad stuff that we did, we're going to end up doing more bad stuff because we're sinners. The only way that sinners can be made right with a holy God is through the perfect sacrifice of Christ, the Son, who did live a perfect life here on this earth, who did fulfill the law. He kept it all. But yet, in His sinlessness, He humbled himself even to the death of the cross. Not because of his own sin, but to pay the price for our sin. Jesus did what Adam showed us that he could not do. All the instructions and all of the responsibilities that Christ received from God, Christ fulfilled them perfectly. Christ was obedient perfectly. Christ fulfilled the law to the T. And so unless Christ is our representative, we will not see the Father. You have Adam and you have Christ. And it is Christ that reconciles us to the Father. So now let's look at Adam. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin. And so death spread to all men because all sinned. There you have it in a nutshell. One man sinned. And death came through that sin. So death spread to all men because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given. But sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned. From Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. Paul here is literally saying Adam is a type of Christ. A type of Christ. Not he is the Christ, he's a type of Christ. What does that mean? Adam was a representative for all mankind. As Adam went, so mankind went with him. Adam fell into sin, therefore all mankind fell into sin with him. Adam is the uh, the, the, the father of all man. Um, 
physically, earthly speaking, we all came from Adam. Therefore, because He sinned, that is passed down to us. Not a very good inheritance, right? Adam's inheritance to us was sin and death. Not a very good one. Yet it is what we all inherited from Adam. As one man, or as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, death spread to all men because all sin. Now Paul also says, Sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one to come. So death reigned over everyone. Even though the law had not come yet, death still reigned because sin was present. Sin was there. But the free gift, verse 15, but the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of God of that one man Jesus Christ abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. But the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. So the gift, play on word, but the gift, the inheritance that that Adam left to us is condemnation. Condemnation before a holy God. Now that is not what anyone that is not what anybody wants to receive from a holy God, right? Nobody wants to know before beyond a shadow of a doubt, well, I'm condemned before a holy God and I'll have to answer for that one day. Right? But that's what we receive from Adam. But the free gift is not like that. The free gift that comes through or that or that comes after many trespasses brings justification. Now I want to take those two words, condemnation, justification. At the end of the age, all of mankind will fall into one of those two categories. Condemned or justified. If we are condemned before a holy God, then we will receive the wrath of God and we will be separated from Him forever. But if we are justified before God, then we will be with Him in glory forever. And ultimately, with the the picture that Paul is painting here, ultimately it comes down to, are you born of the first Adam? Or have you been born again of the second Adam? You see the significance? Those that are born of Adam, and Adam alone, the first Adam, those that only have that first and natural birth will be condemned before a holy God. But those that are born again and are born again into the line of the second Adam, Jesus Christ Himself, they will receive justification and they will be glorified with Him forever. Somewhere around 6th or 7th grade, 
at Pinewood, Mallory might remember it better than me, but at some point we had to do a family tree for somebody's class. And, of course, I waited till the last minute to do it, but that's another story for another time. I'm pretty sure Karen Folsom may have done my family tree. But anyway, I digress. The point of doing a family tree is people people get really super excited, right? When they can really get down to the nitty gritty of it and figure out like, oh, this was like, this was the matriarch or the patriarch of this family. Like this is where it all began, right? And we live in a day now where like Ancestry.com and 23andMe and all of that. People are like really, really getting into the genealogies and stuff. So using that example of the family tree, if your family tree traces you back to Adam alone, you're in trouble. You're condemned before a holy God. But if your family tree takes you back and you see that Christ is at the head of your family tree, then you have been justified by the merciful and gracious free gift of salvation that has been granted to you by a holy God. And again, I want to I want to push this idea because John three sixteen is by far and away probably the most popular verse in all of humanity. But before you get to John 3.16, Jesus tells Nicodemus, unless a man is born again, he will not see the kingdom of God. You must be born again. And that concept of being born again, sadly, I think, you don't have to agree with me, I'm, I'm openly, con- this is, I guess you could say you could categorize this as Caleb's opinion. Now, it's a strong opinion, and I got some stats, or, or not stats, but facts and stuff that I can share with you to back it up. But for the sake of this sermon... I am of the firm conviction that the idea of being born again isn't something that is truly understood within modern day Christendom. We have watered down salvation to the point that we will literally tell people, well, say this prayer and you're saved. Or walk this aisle and you're saved. And in that, being born again is not connected with that at all. Now, the tragedy is, after that person says that prayer or raises their hand or walks that aisle, the preacher man may tell them, you've been born again today. Now, those are serious words. For us to look at somebody, anybody, first and foremost, I'm of the persuasion that I don't look at anybody and tell them, I know you've been born again. Now, I'll say, okay, there's fruits that prove that you may, may have been born again, or there's fruits that prove that you have not been born again. But for us to look at somebody and say, you've been born again, we've got to understand we're treading on holy ground at that point. And we really need to watch our words. If we tell somebody, you've been born again, then we are telling them, hey, I'm convinced and you ought to be convinced too, you never need to worry about your eternal state ever again. You, Because you said this prayer, because you raised this hand, you've been born again today. And that is not how Scripture explains being born again. In fact, Scripture, Jesus Himself explains being born again by using this illustration of the wind. 
You don't know where it comes from or where it's going, but you know that it's there. You see the effects of the wind. Now, can you control the wind? Can I control the wind? Of course not. Of course not. But Jesus says this next. He says, So it is with those who are born of the Spirit. We can't control it. No human being can control it. But we know the effects of people being born again because we do see that people, they were living one way and then it's like they became a totally new person. Well, that's correct. They were born again. So we know that it's there. We know that it happens. We know that people are born again. But we can't control it. We can't manufacture it. And so often, we try to. Now, I know that was a little bit of, a, of, a, of an aside. But we really need to think seriously about being born again. Have we been born again? Are we born of the line of the second Adam? Where we are justified and we will be presented blameless before a holy God? Or have we simply been born and we are still in the natural line of the first Adam condemned before a holy God? Because at the end of the age, ultimately that's what it's going to come down to. We will be in one of two categories. Condemned before God or justified before God. Adam was a type of Christ. What did Adam prove to us? That man, listen to me, man, 100% man, even in an upright state, Adam didn't know what sin was previously. He had never sinned before. Nobody or no thing on earth had ever sinned before. So Adam, in an upright state, still chose to disobey and go against God. What does that prove to us? That we ourselves, even in our best condition, even on our best day, all fall short of the glory of God. If there has ever been anybody who said, well, I'm trying to do my best and I'm living a good life and I'm, I'm going to be the best person that I can be for God, that person needs to be reminded, not even Adam. Not even Adam pleased God in his actions. And even Adam sinned. And the significance of that is, Adam was sinless for a season. We don't know how long that season was, but... Adam was not born in sin. He fell into sin. Adam as a type of Christ shows us that we should not put any hope, any faith, any stock in ourselves. If there was ever a perfect human being that was just human, it was Adam. And he sinned against a holy God. But there was, there was somebody who was fully man and fully God. Jesus Christ. And that's what sets him apart. Adam was fully man. That's it. Christ was fully man, fully God. And during Christ's earthly ministry, He did perfectly obey the Father. He was about the Father's business. He never fell into transgression. And may I, may I mention... That He was tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. 
Adam was tempted and fell. Christ was tempted and withstood the temptation. Adam deserved death, but was given a covering from God. Jesus Christ did not deserve the penalty for death, for, for sin, but He took that penalty upon Himself for our sake, so that we would not have to taste the wrath of God. You see why Scripture refers to it as a gift. There is no greater gift. When one is deserving of the wrath of a holy God, but instead gets the benefits of being God's Son, receives the steadfast love and the faithfulness and the benefits of being God's Son, instead of receiving the wrath of God, you would say, whew, that is a gift of the high standard. That truly is the greatest gift that one could ever have. If because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedient, the many were made sinners... So by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. So another way to put this is, who is that one man? If, if the one man that you're under is Adam, condemnation. We're made sinners. Through the one man's disobedience, the many are made sinners. Through the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. So again, using the family tree analogy, if the one man that we find is Adam, then all we are are guilty sinners. But if the one man that we find that we are under as our representative, as our federal head, to use a theological term, you don't have to, you don't really have to know the term federal head, but that's the picture that we have here. If our head is Christ, righteousness, justification. Now the law came in to increase the trespass. But where sin increased, grace abounded much more. So that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. If Christ has paid the price for your sins, and we are the recipients of grace and salvation, then that grace, the picture of that grace has abounded. It has overcome. It has overtaken the trespasses and the sin. No amount of sin or nothing on this side of heaven could undo the fact that God has placed His love upon His people. And He has purchased His people through the blood of the Lamb. The price for the sins of His people was paid in Christ. And there is nothing that can separate us from the love of God. If you were to flip over and just go to Romans 8. Romans 8 starts out right out of the gate. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Why? Because we're in Christ Jesus. 
We're not in the line of the first Adam anymore. We're in the line of Christ. Under the first Adam, condemned. Under the second Adam, justified. Freed from the burden of sin. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. At the very end of chapter 8, what then shall we say to these things? This is verse 31 of chapter 8. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, how will He not... Also with Him graciously give us all things. Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is there to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised. Who is at the right hand of God. Who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Tribulations, distress, persecutions, famine, nakedness, danger, sword. As it is written... For your sake we're being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. That is the message of reconciliation. That is the message of the cross. And that is... In Genesis, we're just told the head of the serpent is going to be crushed. The head of the serpent is going to be bruised. There will be enmity between your seed and the seed of the woman. There will be enmity there. But your head's going to be crushed. This is a much more robust, full understanding of what exactly took place on the cross. The head of the serpent was crushed. People were reconciled to a holy God. People were purchased, justified through the blood of the Lamb. And because God has gone to such great lengths to have His people, not even sparing His own Son, nothing can separate us from the love of God. Thank God for the second Adam. Thank God for His Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. And praise God, praise God, that His will was to unite all things in heaven and earth in Christ, so that Christ would have supremacy, preeminence in all things. And through the fall, and Christ redeeming His people, rescuing His people out of their sin and bondage to sin, Christ receives the supremacy and the preeminency in all things. And we as His people can acknowledge Christ is all in all so that He can have the highest amount of glory and praise and honor which He alone is worthy of. Adam was a type of the one to come. There is nothing within yourself and there is nothing within me that could ever, that could ever earn or deserve a right standing before God. Even Adam, in his upright state, chose, chose, we, we live in a day and age where people put a lot of stock in the choice. Well, you choose, you choose, you choose. Well, Adam 
in an upright state chose to rebel against God and go against His Word. Our only hope is Christ. If we are right before a holy God, it has nothing to do with us. And it has everything to do with Christ. And that free gift is for all who would ever believe. All who believe will be saved and never perish. We must be born again. That is the gracious gift of God. We can't make anybody else be born again. We can share the hope of the gospel. We can preach the message of the cross. We cannot make people be born again. Those that are born again with Christ as their head are justified and they will be glorified. Those that still have that first Adam as their head are condemned, which is why we need to proclaim the hope of the gospel. We need to go out into the world around us and share the hope of the cross. That God's wrath is coming. There is coming a day of judgment. And the only way, the only way to escape the wrath of God is through Jesus Christ. So, I know we're in Genesis. We've also looked at a few different books. We're going to continue to do that, but I hope and I pray that we are getting a much firmer grasp of the book of Genesis, the significance of the book of Genesis, how Genesis really is an encapsulation of everything else that happens within the rest of Scripture. And next week we're going to look at that specifically. Next week we're going to look at how in Genesis, they're cut off from the tree of life, and then just about at the very end of the Bible, we are told the tree of life is there also. And everything in between is God's great story of redemption. So thank you all for listening so well as you always do. Let's close in a word of prayer.